Well, welcome, everybody. We're so glad you're here. For those of you who are inside here, for those of you who are watching outside, and for those of you who are watching at home, welcome. And we are at the finish line when it comes to communicating our vision and values. And the thing that's been the neatest part for me about this is the stories I've heard about your discussions in your life group. You know, if I was to do this again, I wish I could have done this sermon after the life groups. Because especially in, you know, my life group, we're talking about this, and I go, oh man, that's a good point. Oh, man, I should have said that. Or all of these ideas came after we were discussing that. That would have been probably better. You know, that would have enhanced the sermon. So hopefully, and I'm hearing stories that you're discussing the insights that you have in your life groups. And I'm going, ah, I'm going to steal that one day. You know, so I'm taking notes at what you're saying. But, you know, it's been really, really a blessing to me. And for those of you who are here for the first time, we've been going over our vision and values. And the reason we do this is, yes, we have our vision and values out there, but we want to make sure that we all understand when we say this is our vision, when we say this is our values, that we are all on the same page. Because before, you know, if I was to ask you, okay, what does it mean by this? our values. You probably could have come up with a hundred different definitions, right? But we want to all be on the same page. So what's our vision? Is becoming a loving community that invites and challenges people to live like Christ. And so we talked about what it means to be loving. We talked about what it means to be living in community that's inviting, that it's inviting, that we don't exist here just for ourselves. You know, we exist for our non-members, for the people outside the church. But we also have to challenge us. You know, we exist to challenge one another because we want ourselves to grow. And finally, to live like Christ. Really, that's what we're here for, right? To create disciples of Jesus Christ who also go and create and teach and train other disciples. That's why we exist. And then we talked about our values, and our first value was connect, which is joining people together to experience God. And it's wonderful that we get together to live in community, but there's a purpose for that. You know, we don't want just to have a time of fellowship and fun to be a social time. You know, that's good, but, you know, we want to join people together so they could experience God. And that's your relationships here at Mission Valley, but also your relationships outside the church, is that somehow when you meet people, we want them to experience God. And it's maybe through your stories, maybe how how you live your life, but that's the purpose, is to point people um, to God. And then the second value was care, looking for and meeting the needs of others. And I said, this is why I think Mission Valley, you know, we do well in this, where it's not just waiting to hear about something that happens to somebody. It's being proactive. It's being looking to see, okay, this person is suffering here. How can I help them rather than to wait to be asked? Last week we talked about call is discovering God's unique purpose in our lives. That God has gifted each one of you to fulfill, 
you know, a certain calling in your life. But your calling has to be part of a larger plan. And what's the larger plan? Is God's kingdom. I mean, God didn't gift you so, to, so you could become more and more like Christ, so you could just say, okay, I'm a better person. No, God has gifted you. God wants you to grow so you could do what? Live your life as a what? As a living Bible to those who don't know God. And that's... Um, what we were talking about last week. And today is one of the ones where I struggled with. As we were coming, we were, uh, coming up with our uh, values, this is the one I said, should we put it in there or should we not? Because I knew the implications of this, right? I said, oh, man, I'm not sure I want to do this one. But, you know, praise God, you know, he spoke to uh, myself as well as the staff at the time and our leaders. And our last one today, our last value is courage. Courage, because a lot of the other values in our, vi- our vision, they're not easy, right? And so when, you know, I was talking about these values that we want to live as a church, I hope some of you thought, oh my goodness, you know, this isn't e- as easy as I thought. And so it's going to take courage for us to step out of our comfort zone and, able, and uh, to live out these values. So what's our defini- definition of courage? It's overcoming our fears to live as Jesus' disciples. Now, a lot of times when you decide uh, to find courage, courage is not the absence of fear. Because a, a lot of times we think of a courageous person. You know, think of a person you think is courageous. We think, oh, fearless, right? They got guts, right? And so when we think about that, we think about it, well, they have no fear, They have no fear. But courage is not the lack of fear. Because a lot of times if you were doing certain things that were dangerous, if you didn't have the if you didn't have fear, I would say you were crazy, right? There's nothing wrong with being in a person in a situation that's fearful. But what we're saying is courage pushes us beyond our fear to accomplish certain things. And once again, I want you to think about somebody in your life right now who you view as courageous. Or maybe you viewed an act that was courageous. Do you have that in your mind? Do you have that person in your mind right now? What does that make you feel? Most likely that inspires you, right? Because when we see acts of courage, they are inspiring And so this is why um, we have this uh, value, because we want to inspire people, not so much because of who we are, but what God could do through us. And we're going to learn that God is basically the foundation of our courage. And so if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Exodus 3.10? And we're going to take a look at two uh, individuals in the Bible and to see how they dealt with fear, right? And the first one, we're going to look at Moses. And so this is God's task for Moses. It says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Okay, so when uh, God approaches, uh, Moses uh, approaches God and, you know, God tells him, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Egypt. I've heard the cries of my people, and I want you to lead them out. Okay, that's a task, a big task. 
Now, if that was anybody, one of us, we would have been fearful, right? Because we would be asked to go and talk and demand, make demands to the most powerful man in the ancient world who would have our life or death in his hands. And God t- would tell us to go and, well, I want you to make these demands of that person, right? But what does Moses do? Does he say, all right, I'm there? Nah, he starts to make excuses. He starts to make excuses. But as, I, as we look through Moses, I hope that we could see that we're not too harsh on Moses because sometimes I think I could see myself doing the same thing Moses did, right? Have the same excuses that Moses did when God asked us to do something. So excuse number one. But Moses said to God, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Excuse number one was, I'm not qualified to do what you are asking of me. I know I heard you, God. I heard what you want me to do. But I am not qualified to do what you are asking of me. He goes, I'm not the prince of Egypt anymore. I've been living in the desert for 40 years. You know, I'm a shepherd now. You know, I have no contacts in um, Egypt anymore. My LinkedIn account, there's nobody there. You know, I don't have any clout. You know, I'm not qualified to do what you want me to do. Have you ever had that excuse? When God asks you to do something, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. Well, this is God's response. And God said, well, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that, is, <coughs> that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So the first thing he says, Moses said, well, I'm not qualified. God said, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Why? Because I'm going to be with you. And that should be enough. But then he tells Mo- Moses what the sign will be. And it's interesting. What's interesting about this sign? That the sign will come to Moses that God said, I'm going to do this. It's going to come true what? After you accomplish the task, right? That's going to be a sign. After you accomplish the task and you worship and I have brought your people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. But remember Gideon, right? God asked Gideon to take 300 men to fight 135,000 Midianites. That's crazy. But at least Gideon got his um, uh, request answered before he did it. Remember he threw out the fleece? And then he heard... Um, the people in the Midianite soldiers in the Midian camp confirming that he was going to be victorious. But this was before, you know, he did what he was doing. It's interesting that God gave Moses the sign, and the sign would be after you accomplish this task. So for some of you, some of us, God's going to ask you to do something, and you are going to want confirmation before you do it. You want to throw out your fleece and say, okay, God, this is my fleece. I want you to confirm 
what you're calling to me to do, and when I get that confirmation, I'll move forward. How many of us would like that? I, I certainly would. You know, I want confirmation from God before I actually go and do something that's crazy, right? <laughs> In this case, he said, your confirmation will come after you trusted me, after you obeyed me, when you worship the people on this mountain, and you're going to look back and say, ah, okay, God, you were right. And that's a little bit unnerving for us, right? We want a confirmation before. God gave Moses this confirmation after the fact, right? And then Moses, what's excuse number two? And Moses says to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? Right? Moses' concern is, I don't have the credentials to do what you're asking of me. I don't have the credentials. I don't have the letters behind my name to do what your task asked me to do. I don't have the training. I don't have the education to do what you are asking me to do. I don't have the credentials, right? And this could be a frightening thing because I told you that when I was called into the ministry, I was called into the ministry when I was a senior in high school, but I didn't want to do that. So I played Jonah for, you know, like about 12 years, Right, But there was a time when I walked, later on when I was in my mid to late 20s, when I walked away from the Lord, right? When I was living a life that was pretty immoral. Well, you couldn't even tell that I was a believer, right? And this is probably what I had to learn on my own, right? But you know what? Even through all of that, I still heard God calling me, Dave, I want you to go into the ministry. And this was my excuse to God is I don't have the credentials. Look at me. Look at the way I'm living my life. You're getting the wrong guy, right? And so I prayed and I prayed. You know, I got down on my knees and I was praying, God, take this calling away from me. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't. I'm not qualified. I don't want to hurt your ministry. I don't want to hurt the church, right? Take this away from me. But you know what? God never did. God never did. Yes, I made my mistakes, and I couldn't figure out why God would call somebody like me with my credentials into the ministry, and he wouldn't take it away. You know, there are a a lot, many times I gave God the chance God, this is your chance, you know, take this away from me. And I prayed fervently. This wasn't, dear God, no, I was on my knees. I'd be on my bed, on my knees, just crying out to God, take this away, take this away. I don't have the credentials for this. And I even told God, you don't know who you're getting. Could you imagine telling God that? You, the God, omniscient God, you don't know who you're getting. <sighs> 
But my God's response was the same response that God gave to Moses in Exodus 3.14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you, sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is my name forever. The name that you shall call me from generation to generation. He's saying, I'm God. And calling you to do this. And this is all you need to know. That's it, right? The same thing was true for me. There was no confirmation. It said, Dave, I'm God. I'm calling you to this. I don't care about your credentials. And that's all you need. And so I moved forward. But I found out that it was through my failures that I was able to minister to people who made the same mistakes that I did. Excuse number three. And Moses answered, What if they don't believe, do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Excuse number three. What if, excuse me, what if I do what you ask of me and I fail? Once again, been there and done that. Have you ever been there? Where God is asking you to do something and it said, What if I do what I ask of you and I fail? And I've shared before, there's this um, American psychologist uh, named Angela Duckworth, and she um, was taking a look at certain criteria that uh, she thought would be, what makes people successful? You know, what makes kids successful? And this is what she said. She said, my research team and I went to West Point Military Academy, and we tried to predict which cadets would stay in the military training and which would drop out. We went to the National Spelling Bee and tried to predict which children would advance the furthest in competition. We studied rookie teachers working in really tough neighborhoods, asking which teachers are still going to be here teaching by the end of the school year and those who would be the most effective at improving learning outcomes for the students. We partnered with private companies asking which of these salespeople is going to keep their jobs and who is going to earn the most money. And she said, in all those very different contexts, one characteristic emerged as a significant predictor of success. Do you know what it is? Do you know what that predictor of success was? She said, it wasn't social intelligence. Or back when I was learning in the 90s, it wasn't EQ, which was what? Emotional intelligence. It wasn't good looks. It wasn't physical health, and it wasn't IQ. It was grit. And she describes grit is a passion and perseverance for, le- for very long-term goals. Grit is having stamina. Grit is sticking with your future day in, day out. Not just for a week, not just for a month, but for years, and working really hard to make that future a reality. Grit is living life like it's a marathon and not a sprint. Kind of like our Christian life, right? 
Our Christian journey is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And some of the characteristics of a person with grit include, and this is what she put as number one, courage. Courage. Resilience, strength, confidence, patience, optimism, creativity, and dedication. One aspect of grit is the ability to get up and try again after you have failed. And this is, parents, this is what we have to teach our children. We have to teach our children how to get up and go forward again when you failed. And I know you've heard this one from the greatest basketball player that ever lived, Michael Jordan, okay? And he said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. The greatest basketball player of all time says what happened to him. He failed over and over and over and over again. But each time he got up after his failure to move forward. That's grit. That's grit. And so there are times when you are going to fail that shouldn't keep you from doing what God calls you to do. There are characters in the Bible that failed and got back up again. We see King David who committed adultery and murder. Samson was tricked into losing his strength. Peter denied Christ. Yes, they made mistakes, but they all were able to get back up after they made a mistake and move forward, right? We can't let fear of failure stop us from doing what God calls us to do because some of the most important lessons in my life I learned when I failed. When you say, you know, some of the greatest courage that you display might be to get up and try again after you failed. After you tried something, you failed and you were humiliated. You were embarrassed, and you definitely don't want to go through that again. It takes courage and grit, as this one psychologist said, to get back up and try again. Well, what's God's response to this one? Then the Lord said to him, well, what's in your hand? Well, a staff, he replied. And the Lord said, Throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. I would have loved to see that. God says, what do you got in your hand? He goes, a, a, this is a staff, my walking stick. God says, throw it on the ground, and he turns it into a snake, and it just freaks Moses out, and he runs the other way. I mean, I would have loved to see that. I thought that would have been so funny of an event. And then, he said to, and then he said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Are you crazy? I mean, I'm already scared of this thing. Didn't you see me running the op- opposite direction? And God said, what do you want to do? Grab it by its tail. <laughs> you know, God, you're crazy. 
Now, for me, I could probably do that because I'm not so much afraid of snakes. But for some of you, oh, man, that would have been no way, God. No way. Now, if it was a big spider, I would say no way. No way. I hate spiders. I hate spiders, right? But that's what he said. Reach out and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, well, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and he took it out, and the skin was leprous. and has become white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into the, his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. And so God said pretty much, it doesn't matter. What if you're frail? He goes, my power will be displayed in your life. But how many times have we said no to God out of fear when we've seen God display his power in our lives over and over and over again? Remember last time I said part of our calling last week is to what? Become more like Christ. And as we become more like Christ, the test, the challenges are going to get harder and harder and harder. And time and time again, we see God work, right? But then the next test is harder than the previous one. And then what? We're fearful. We're fearful. You know, Israel, you know, did that. You know, in the book of Judges, seven times, right? Israel was blessed by God. Then what did Israel do? They disobeyed God. So God said a country to take over to take over them and capture them, right, and persecute them. Israel cried out, and God saved them. You would think that after seeing God save them, that they would say, okay, I've learned my lesson. But they didn't. Seven times they went through this cycle. How many times do we do that? We've seen God work in our lives. Yet when God asks us to do something that's a little bit harder than the previous time, we have fear. We show fear. Then we see excuse number four. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow to speech and tongue. I don't have the skills to do what you're asking of me. You know, I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. I don't have the skills. You've got the wrong guy. God's response. And the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes the deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, I, now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Once again, Moses says, you know what? 
You're asking me to go and speak and make demands of the, uh, in front of the most powerful man in the world who could kill me with, a, with just a word. And I'm not eloquent. What if I mess things up? What if I make things worse than they were before I even got there? I'm not eloquent. But what does God say? What does God say? I will help you speak. In the areas where you don't feel you have the skills to do what God is asking you to do, what does he say? I am the one that is going to help you. And I will teach you. Once again, it's what? God doing the work. So finally we see Moses' decision. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. What was his decision? I can't do it. Please send somebody else. What was God's response to this? Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, Well, what about your brother, Aaron the Levi? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if your mouth and as if you were speaking. God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform science with this. Have you ever wondered, is there a line that you cross between, okay, God, I'm not sure about this, and then you cross over the line of disobedience, and instead of God's grace, you get, you know, God's anger? This is what happened to Moses. Moses crossed that line. When he had all of these excuses, right, God was explaining it to him. But the moment he said, I'm not going to do it, send somebody else, that's where he crossed the line. And that's the same thing for you and I. We could all have doubts about God is what God is asking us to do. And those are normal. And God will walk with us and journey with us and help us understand that I am God. Yes, I'm asking you to do something that's difficult. I will be with you. Don't worry about it. But the moment we say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to send somebody else. That's where we cross the line. And we see that in Moses. This is where God's anger came out, is when he said, no, I'm not going to do it. Send somebody else. All right? But you know what? God still was gracious to Moses because he said, I'm going to help you. I'm still going to help you, right? But if you don't want to face God's loving discipline, I would encourage all of you, if God is asking you to do something that's scary, don't say, no, I'm not going to do it. Because then you're going to experience God's loving discipline. God's loving discipline. And this is a point that I wanted to make. It says God's presence, power, and perfect plan are the source of our courage. It's not how much guts we have. It's not how brave we naturally are. It's not whether or not we are a natural risk taker. God's presence, his power, and perfect plans are the source of our courage, and we need to remember that. 
that even though you feel like I'm not qualified, I don't have the skill, it's not about you. It's about God's presence in your life. I am with you. It's about God's power that he could display through you, and it's about his perfect plan that he's going to accomplish through you. That is the source of our courage. So the question is, how do we courageously respond to God's request? And we're going to do this quickly, and we're going to take a look at the life of Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus went with his disciples Uh, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. So he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed uh, with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell Um, with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for just one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went again away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them. And went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. What was Jesus praying? Lord, if there's any way this cup can be taken from me, if there's any way uh, humankind could be redeemed without me going to the cross, is there a way for this to happen? That's what Jesus was asking. Now, Jesus knew full well why he came to this earth. Jesus knew that it was through the death of his cross that mankind would be saved. But in this moment, we have to remember that Jesus is what? 100% God and 100% human. And his 100% human side asked God, is there any way that um, humankind can be redeemed without me going through this? Because he knew the torture, he knew the pain that he would have to go through. Any of us, if we knew that we were going to get beaten and we were going to get scourged and we were going to get this crown of thorns just shoved onto our heads and we would have to take this cross and carry it and then we were going to have our robe put on and when it rips off our back, our back would be raw, right? When we would have to be nailed to the cross. If we knew all this would happen, of course, being humid, we would say, God, is there another way? And that's what Jesus was asking. But I think more importantly, he was going to become sin on the cross for each one of us, where God would turn his back on his son when he was bearing the sins of the world um, on the cross. And for the first time in his entire eternal existence, he would be separated from God. Now, I don't know what that was like, but Jesus understood this. But how did he respond? He said, not my will, but your will be done. Not immediately. Immediately. 
he said that. We respond courageously to God's request by saying, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knew the task that was placed before him. Jesus knew that it was going to be a horrible task. And he asked his father, is there any way out of this? Is there any way humankind could be saved another way? But right away, right away, what did he say? Not my will, but your will be done. You know, Kerry Newoff says, well, how do you develop deep courage? And he says it starts with small steps. Small victories over fear quickly become larger ones because, like any good muscle, the more you practice overcoming your fears, the more fear will you overcome. Right? When God asks you to do something that's scary, you can either say, no, I can't do it. Send somebody else. Or you could respond with, not my will, but your will be done. There's only one godly response when God asks us to do something that's scary. Not my will, but your will be done. So what's our weekly challenge this week? I want us to read Exodus 3, 10 through 15, Exodus 4, 1 through 16, Joshua 1, 1 through 9, Matthew 26, 36 through 43 this week. And then I want you to ask yourself, what do you sense God is calling you to do that is outside your comfort zone? I guarantee you, God is going to be calling you to do something that's outside your comfort zone. And the question is, how will I respond? How will you respond? Will I say, please, God, send somebody else? Or will I say, respond with, not my will, but your will be done? Let's pray and worship team. Would you please come forth? Gracious Heavenly Father, I know that there are so many of us, including myself, where we've been in the place of Moses. When, we, you, when you have asked us to do something that we believe is out of our comfort zone. And Father, we make all of these excuses, even though we see and we know that you have been with us in the past. And Father, there are times when we said, I just can't do it. Can you send somebody else? But Father, as as we reflect on those times, I pray, Father, that we learn something, that we learn that that's not a response that you want, that the only response that is appropriate when you ask us to do something is not my will, but your will be done. You know, some of you are sitting here right now with some pretty big decisions to make. And you're not sure what to do. I just want you to sit here and contemplate that as you obey God, as you live courageously about God, it's not the amount of bravery you have. It's not the amount of, let's say, 
living with guts but it's a matter of God's presence God's power and God's perfect plan in your life so i just want you to sit here and meditate right now on God's presence and ask God to make himself present in your life God's power Ask God to help you recall the power he showed you in the past to take care of you and his perfect plan that you may not understand why God's calling you to do this, why God's calling you out of your comfort zone. But God, it's all a part of God's perfect plan for your life. So spend some time meditating on that right now. Gracious Heavenly Father, we realize that in order for us to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, you are going to call us to act outside of our comfort zone. And for some of us, that means taking small steps. For some of us, it may be taking larger steps. But we thank you so much for the example that our Lord Jesus Christ gave us in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was facing a future so difficult that none of us, none of us could ever comprehend what Jesus was facing. And yet in the end, Father, his response was not my will, but your will be done. Father, may Jesus be our inspiration. May Jesus give us the hope that since he is living in us, since it is his power that powers us, that we too have access to this power and we too can respond with not my will, but your will be done. Father, we ask that you, we would, you would allow us to live a life in obedience to you this week, this day, knowing that everything that we need to overcome comes from you and you alone. In your son's name we pray, amen.